Welcome to the Red Letter Christians podcast. Red Letter Christians gets our name from the Bibles that highlight the words of Jesus in red. And we're aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. We know that the loudest, most prominent voices representing Christianity in America haven't always been the most beautiful or the most faithful voices. And we know that the way we change the narrative is by changing the narrators. We are committed to amplifying the voices of people who are dedicated to Jesus and to justice. How much longer will justice Hello, everybody. This is Shane Claiborne, and uh, I'm so glad you could join uh, me for this half hour or so. Uh, I'm really excited today because I've got my buddy Ash Barker joining from over across the pond over in the UK, and he's all kinds of stuff. He's a, a community builder. He's um, uh, a missionally minded, Jesus loving uh, revolutionary, and he's got a, a, all kinds of new stuff going on, as you always do. But um, most of all, I think you're a friend of Jesus, and you've been a friend of me and Tony Campolo for, I, I can now say, decades. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. But, you know, I, I think uh, as a little backdrop, though, you there's lots of folks that are helping lead Red Letter Christians in the UK right now, but you kind of helped us get that going, and it felt like there was something stirring over there. There was needing to be... Uh, there's kind of a new expression of faith and the red letter Christian thing was resonating with a lot of people there, a need to kind of uh, center Jesus again and have a Christianity that's not about escaping this world, but about kind of transforming and engaging the world. And so red letter Christians UK started a bunch of years ago. And I, I'm, I'm really excited because we're, we're trying to get back and forth any chance we have. And I, I don't know when exactly this will come out, but I'm getting ready to uh, jump on a plane and head over there to visit and see all kinds of great folks. But tell us a little bit of the backdrop of what has happened over the years and what's happening right now with Red Letter Christians UK, bro. Yeah, I mean, I, I've always, uh, my, my faith really is, um, yeah, got sparked really by Tony Campola when I was about 18 years old, stood up at a meeting uh, after what Jesus has done for you. Will you go anywhere for the cause of Christ for him? And uh, yeah, that was um, well over 30 odd years ago and uh it's taken me to all kinds of places and the theme of jesus and justice has just resonated with me since i was a teenager i got married to Angie, the 20 year old uh we ended up moving into a majority refugee community in melbourne where i'm from and then uh and then yeah for 12 years we we're living in bangkok's largest slum before coming here in the uk and the thread through all of that is that we're following and joining and participating with what jesus is doing and uh, and certainly over here in the UK, there was, uh, I think there was a fear really that the the institutional church is kind of um, depleting at a really rapid rate. A lot of young people are not kind of finding a home in communities, uh, Christian communities. And for me, I think the sense of belonging and connection and part of something bigger that Red Letter Christians offered was has, was really important for me personally, but also for a lot of people emerging around the country. There's, there is a lot of people who are kind of dropping off and um, in all kinds of ways and not, not feeling connected, feeling really isolated. 
And uh, I think the call to Christian community, the call to radical discipleship of Jesus is is something that is um, definitely needed. Uh, I'm in the inner city, Birmingham, where we literally, uh, our precinct has the highest rate of unemployment in the country. And so, yeah, the themes of Jesus and justice and community and connection are really important for us here. And so uh, I was thrilled when Tony and Shane and uh, a lot of other folk were able to come together and, and see what, what was possible. So I'm really grateful for your support and love. Yeah, dude. And you were just asking me before we started recording about Tony. And I said last weekend, I uh, went up to visit uh, Tony and Peggy Campolo, dear friends and co-founders of Red Letter Christians. And, you know, he's pushing 90 years old right now. And of course had a stroke uh, a couple of years ago, but he's leading a church service uh, every Sunday afternoon at his uh, retirement community. So we're, he's walking everybody through the book of Acts right now. And we got to be there for one of those uh, wonderful services. And, um, and, you know, there's a little, little, little choir. And uh, I mean, it's just, it was precious and, and, and really awesome and pure camp choir. Um and, uh, you know, so like over the years, it feels like every every moment in the U.S. we're recalibrating. I mean, we've got so much going on um, over here, as you know, but um, there's there's a real pruning, I think, happening within Christianity. I mean, there's some denominations that may not make it. They're not going to rebound from COVID. There's others that are doing some real deep reckoning with their um how they've navigated racism. I mean, some of our denominations started because they were on the wrong side of uh, our, our racial justice history. And um, so there's a lot happening here, but like over there, tell us what you see happening, like within Red Letter Christians and other like kind of uh, fresh, uh, generous things. <laughs> things that we say things coming out of the compost of Christendom. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, I mean, I mean, I, I, obviously, it's very difficult to speak about the whole thing, but uh, I would say my own denomination, so my Churches of Christ minister, uh, Churches of Christ joined the United Reformed Church with, with Presbyterians and Congregationalists. And in during COVID, um, in just in the last 12 months, actually, um, 42 of our churches closed and we're, you know, we're in steep decline. And that is happening all around the country. Uh, COVID kind of fast-tracked a lot of church closures. Um, churches that have been around for centuries are, um, are being sold off. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I kind of feel like in some ways, yeah, it, it, there's, a, there's more in common between red-letter Christian folk actually in different denominations than there are often within our own denominations. Uh, yeah. When you and, you, and, you and Tony came out last time, it was fantastic. But what I loved was, you know, up in Manchester, it was, you know, predominantly a black Pentecostal group. And then in Luton, it was a high church Anglican group. But when you put Jesus at the center, we can all come at it with our own traditions, our own, uh, yeah, our own concerns. And uh, Jesus and justice just resonate with everybody. And so I, I'm hopeful that there is new, kind, new kinds of networks, alliances, Certainly on the grassroots, I mean, the building I'm in now is an old United Reformed Church building built in 1894. For an Australian, you know, 50 years is kind of vintage in Australia. I think I've got a blue badge, you know, for how old I am. But 1894 would be one of the oldest buildings in Australia if it was in Australia. But uh, but it was derelict. There was a congregation of six people left. And during COVID, in our neighbourhood, there's hardly any big community buildings left. They're all gone. 
And uh, and our denomination would have sold this building off, but a group of us kind of got together. And now there's all kinds of crazy things happening here. Uh, we started a new congregation in the morning, but there's like a bike social enterprise and there's a community calf and there's advocacy. And it's all the gifts and assets and talents of the local community suddenly have a place that they can be. There's art, there's music. We do have blacksmithing up at uh, that you would love. We have uh, uh, this beautiful artwork actually on the front of our church. Uh, I don't know if I can get there to show you, but uh, it's old confiscated knives from the street that have been made into beautiful flowers that hold the, the flowers at the front of our, our church building. And and the community just got together, really, and uh, have decided this is, this is the place that we can reopen again. And so that kind of thing isn't happening everywhere, but I think it can happen more. Actually, uh, my colleague in Red Letter Christians, Dave, Dave Mann, and I are talking in a part of East Ham where a similar thing is happening where a church is about to be sold off. But if we can get a congregation in there, we can become the congregation and the community, can, again, can get access to, to buildings. So I, I, I wouldn't say that's happening a lot, but I think those possibilities are opening up. And suddenly churches that have been on the decline, like here in, in Winston Green, for, for decades, suddenly have fresh life because the local community are able to own and run and create uh, all kinds of uh, possibilities here. Yeah, I love it. And, you know, I've got those great memories of the blacksmithing of the amnesty knives that were got, you yes. know, come off the streets there. And um, yeah. we're getting ready. I think even when I'm over there, uh, we're going to do like a blacksmithing marathon. Um, we're, we're blacksmithing for one minute, uh, one minute for every person killed last year in the U.S., which is over 40,000 lives. And wow thousand minutes so we're going around the clock so that's why we're hoping to get some blacksmiths in the uk you know doing the night hours over here you know and, uh, <laughs> yeah yeah you know there's that common vision and creativity and imagination and um uh but some of the issues that we're working on you know of in some ways you've moved past but i don't think it's ever like you can just write off the death penalty we've gone you know because there's some people that want to go back rather than forward and so we're trying to abolish the death penalty we're trying to you know do something about the gun violence in our country and a lot of folks there sort of scratch their head when they look at the u.s but um you know we kind of scratch our head when we looked at the installation of the king and some of us have watched the crown (laughs) and this idea of the state church i mean whoa it I mean, I'm watching TV. I'm like, that's Justin Welby. You know, he's a friend of ours, but he's also like in the thick of it. And I, I know I'm not asking, I'm asking a sort of pseudo Brit. You're from Australia. <laughs> I, I mean, it seems like a lot of young people are challenging some of these institutional yeah. structures like the monarchy and stuff that just kind of don't make sense anymore or some of them haven't reckoned with the past of colonization or there's this sort of um uh re, you know kind of telling history as we wish it was rather than as it really was <laughs> yeah so, that, uh, oh, if you want to uh, say more about that but we're over here watching you know the installation of the the crown and everything going what in the world yeah. so, uh, it was interesting i mean the thing that really got me was uh pledging allegiance to the king and that uh, there was normally, and the language that was used, that used to be used by the, um, uh, look, I see if I can find it. I mean, it's seriously crazy, almost, um, well, it is idolatrous kind of language that, that was used, I think, in, in this one. But the one before it was even, uh, this was literally what was said at the last uh, uh, enthronement of Queen Elizabeth. 
called the homage of the peers. We, the peers of the realm, do become your liege men of life and limb and of earthly worship, and faith and truth will bear unto you to live and die against all manner of folks. So help us, God. Now, uh, that was uh, there was a people's version of that, which I think was even more horrendous. The people, the people of God, especially, would would pay homage to a, to an earthly king in those ways. So there was a lot of interestingly, the whole country was kind of asked to do it, uh, and uh, I think only one in six people did actually. And so, yeah. the, so there is a, uh, I think, a lot of resistance against this. But um, but there was older folks who, for whom this is a part of continuity and part of what it means to be British and all that. But I think there's a, a really dark side to it. And uh, and I, yeah, look, I had friends literally within the ceremony and, uh, of course, you know, Justin very well, but uh, uh, I've met him a few times. But Mike Royal, my, a good friend, friend of ours, who's part of the Red Letter Christmas movement as well, was there. And he actually did a blessing um, as, as, as a black Pentecostal in charge of churches together in England. And I think for him, it was uh, yeah, it was a real challenge on how do you kind of be there as a black person in, in front of all this. But the history and the, um, the challenge of all that is really, really difficult for, yeah. for him. Um, I mean, I think, I think it's worth saying that, you know, as even all laughing aside, that some of these imperial liturgies, you know, they, they do sort of just feel like this archaic thing. But there there is something that it, there's a theology there. There's a ritual there. Yeah. There's, and and sometimes we see it at its worst when there's wars and things like that. But I think it's mm. always uh, uh, helpful. How, 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 how do you guys go with pledging allegiance to the flag and all that? That kind of has its own kind of uh, <laughs> idolatrous kind of feel to it. I can't say that I speak on behalf of everyone, but I, <laughs> I can say this: that I, I've I've come to uh, say the the Lord's Prayer. It's it's it actually almost rolls pretty well as a okay. parallel uh, liturgy. Um, but, you know, we we had the kids in our neighborhood that were going to this wonderful camp that was so hospitable and so lovely. But then uh, they began. This is a Christian camp that, that began the day with the the Pledge of Allegiance and, the you know, and, and stuff. And we we're like, listen, um, let's talk about this. You know, we we our kids are we want them to center their lives around Jesus, not America. We want them to have a vision that God so loved the world. Um so would you be okay if they did the Lord's Prayer or something, uh, you know, a different prayer during the the Pledge of Allegiance, you know? So anyway, I think it's, these are good things. So anyway, this is good. And, and just for <laughs> joining in, if you're just tuning in, don't worry. We didn't, we didn't set out to talk about the crown for a half hour. But I'm talking with my buddy Ash Barker, who's doing all kinds of great stuff over in the UK from Australia, um, written a new book that we're going to talk about in just a minute called No Wastelands, uh, Seedbeds of Shalom in Your Neighborhood. We'll talk about it in just a second. But, I, you know, first, Ash, I wanted to... Uh, you know, it's it's very related to this idea of power and what is God doing in the world and how do we see our faith not just as an escape, you know, into heaven, but as a part of seeking, as Jesus said, the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, like God's dream coming on earth as it is in heaven. And so it means we're really engaged in um, 
the struggles locally, um, but also as we're looking around the world, we can get involved as Christians in liberative, you know, uh, life-giving work. And you've been asking a lot of great questions and getting involved in Ukraine and also in Myanmar. And so tell us a little bit about what's happening there and like what, what you're kind of feeling moved by the spirit to do right now. Yeah, so uh, one of the things that uh, bizarrely happened to me is I, I earned a PhD, and my supervisor was uh, Ross Langmead. He was a brilliant man, uh, but he died actually a year after I graduated, and I felt that, uh, a real kind of burden, really, to to make use of of what really was for me was kind of a personal development thing. I was in the slum in Bangkok, and on the rise of urban poverty. They just helped me as an excuse, really, to get off the front line, to look at the bigger pictures. Um, so I wasn't ever expecting to kind of use it. But uh, but I, I met some folks from the Ukraine five or six years ago. Ivan um, is a, um, he loves Leslie Newbegin. And Leslie Newbegin happened to be a big influence on me, but also where I live in, in Winston Green is actually where Leslie Newbegin, a famous missiologist, wrote... Um, Gospel of Plural Society, Foolishness to the Greeks. He wrote them here in Winston Green. And so we made a connection four or five years ago. They were trying to get a master's program together. And I thought, wow, this is a way that I could kind of support Ivan, the work in Ukraine. It's only a couple of hours flight away from here. Uh, and, uh, uh, and so we've been doing that the last few years. Of course, last February, uh, the, the war breaks out, Russia invades, and in March, their campus actually was was bombed. Um, six missiles hit their campus. And Ivan and Fyodor and all the faculty that we've been working with to help design and run this um, master's program uh, really were scrambling of knowing what to do, um, how, to, how, how to look after people. Um, Ivan is remarkable. I mean, he decided that no one in that neighborhood where the campus was going to die, that no one was going to go hungry, no one was going to be isolated. So as a college, they kind of opened themselves up. And actually, they opened their college back up in um, in October last year. And my units were due and my students were due to kind of graduate. Uh, and so I, I went across, which was amazing. I was, <laughs> it, was, it was quite a journey with trains and uh, getting the border and all that kind of stuff, and um, it took a long time, but it was it, it was an amazing experience to be there in person, talking and sharing with the students as well as the faculty. Uh, they'd re- rebuilt their um, their campus, and I think it's remarkable actually the resilience of the Ukrainian people that they they've just decided this is you know they're not going to be taken uh, away by this. They're going to to stay. Um, and Ivan and others, uh, Butcher is where Ivan was from. So I went to visit his village and the desolation that, that Russia had actually taken over that part of Kiev. But he puts, you know, the, pe- the people of God are suddenly, you know, in all kinds of ways, have credibility. Many of them kind of stayed and have been rebuilding and protecting people. And uh, there was one part, that one village not far from Butcher, is that uh, when the Russians invaded, the only folks left were was the church, and uh, and local people stayed, and uh, and they decided not to fight back with guns or anything like that, but just to to put themselves on the line and say we're here protecting local people, don't kill us. They didn't it's kill so, them, and eventually so the Russians left. That 
they, they kind of counter narrative because I think a lot of folks, especially over here, we're a little further away, but you, you, I, th- I think when people think of like, what is Christianity doing in the midst of this conflict? What are Christians doing? The, the, the kind of compelling answer to that is the complicity of the Russian church to kind of back the injustices, but to hear the story of other folks, it's always a remnant, right? The folks that are really risking their lives that are pouring out their, their resources to try to save people's lives. Um, and it strikes me, I was, I was thinking of this quote from Dr. King, Ash, uh, Martin Luther King. He said, those who love peace must learn to organize as effectively as those who love war. Yes. Because you yes, can sometimes feel that, like that war is the, the kind of uh, dominant narrative, but there's always this other side of resistance, but we've got to be willing to risk uh, as much for Christ and for love as people have been willing to risk for power um, and for war. Uh, so, um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, we've been tracking it. And if you haven't seen it, you know, a lot of those journals and reflections are on Red Letter Christians UK and also on our yes, that's right. US. Tell us a little bit. I want to make sure we have time to talk about the new book, but tell us a little bit about uh, Myanmar. Yeah, I mean, I started out in Melbourne and some of our first connections in Springvale were Burmese refugees and dissidents. And uh, there was a lot of hope a couple of years ago that things were changing, that uh, there was democracy that was going to happen. There was an election. Uh, uh, and actually, I got talking to my friend Joe Soma, who used to live with us. He's now one of the spokespeople for the National Unity Government in Myanmar. And uh, he said, oh, Ash, we'd love what you're doing with Changemakers, which is a seedbeds program we do with local community leaders. They pitch their idea for social enterprises and community projects and the campaigns at the end of the program. We'd love that in Myanmar. You know, would, you, would, you, you know, would you be up for kind of doing that? I said, sure, Joe, happy to help out. It's a new day for Myanmar. But in February two years ago, uh, there was a military coup. And... Uh, and it was horrendous what's going on in Myanmar. It's totally underreported. But uh, the military spent over a billion uh, pounds worth of uh, military equipment, mainly from, from Russia and China. And they're just decimating any, any strongholds that are uh, for the democratic movement are being bombed and, and being targeted. There's a civil disobedience movement. About 350,000 Burmese have decided, no, we're not going to cooperate with the military. And it's that group we've been working with. Um, We had to do a whole lot of stuff online with them, and they pitched their ideas. So we still got, we call it the Seedbeds Incubator, and they uh, pitched their ideas. We had a cohort last year. We go online, and then we go in person at the end. Uh, And I go to Myanmar um, uh, next, uh, next month. And so this idea... Uh, that uh, that people can resist the military and resist the powers that be, and we can stand and be in solidarity with people. I think it's what Jesus would do in these situations. And so, yeah, I've been able to do that. My book wrote, wrote a little bit about this. It's called No Wasteland, How to Go yeah, See Yeah, tell us more about it. So you're, you're kicking it off uh, this summer at Greenbelt and other venues. Yeah. So tell yeah, us about yeah. the new book, man. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a lot about if we're going to see resilient communities and neighbourhoods, it's got to be from the inside out. And so the question of how do we raise up local community leaders who can do their enterprises and new kinds of economics and new kinds of connecting and, and, and seeing change happen from the inside out. So I've been doing this kind of work for 30 years. And so it's a bit of an odyssey of our experiences in places like Myanmar and Ukraine and Australia and 
Thailand and slums and of course here in the UK and uh, yeah so it's a it's an image actually uh, John Perkins kind of was the one who said what do you want to do in in Birmingham and I tried to explain this next generation of investing in leaders and for people to come and learn and grow and then be released and he said you're trying to start a seabed a seabed of shalom and uh, and that's the name of our organization now and we're seeing working with you know 200 odd community leaders a year uh, in all kinds of crazy ways and so the book is a bit about those experiences so and good so- um, uh, in the last minute or two here, just tell us how folks can connect. Because, I mean, some of these shows we're talking about theology and telling stories, but a lot of the stuff that you're doing are really, there's really concrete opportunities for people to get involved. So talk about, you know, tell us some websites and social medias and stuff where people can get involved in your work, man. Thanks, man. Yes, yeah, so seabeds.org is our website and yeah, there's all kinds of opportunities to get involved. If you did have, because uh, so much of our stuff is online with Myanmar, for example, and if you had a skill that you wanted to teach, so we've got bakers, we've got uh, 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 educators, we've got uh, uh, environmental sustainability people. If you've got a short course you'd like to teach, we can get an interpreter for you and we would love you to think about whether there might be some folks in Myanmar who could benefit from that as well. So at coffee shop, we've got guys who are teaching them how to do coffee. And uh, last week we had a, a farmer, Duncan Brown, who was terrific, who uh, his farm the size of whales in, uh, in, in the UK. And uh, so he was talking about super quails. And so we're, all kinds of enterprises are possible. And so, yes, you've got a skill you could teach. We'd love to hear from you. How about that? I was thinking of that quote from Frederick Beekner, who said, we've got to take our deepest passions and connect them to the world's deepest pain. So uh, if you want to if you want to do that, go to seabeds. And also, I mean, whether it's welding and blacksmithing and you want to take (laughs) amnesty knives or whether you want to raise alpacas in the concrete of Birmingham. (laughs) Uh, it's happening, y'all. And follow Red Letter Christians, uh, especially all you in the UK and around the world. Follow Red Letter Christians. Uh, and, and the movement there in the UK is really powerful. Folks are looking for a place to belong. People are not giving up on Jesus, despite the embarrassing things that have Christians have done in their name, uh, in Christ's name. But um, we need a new, fresh movement of folks who love Jesus and care about justice. So uh, I thought you'd tell us a little bit more about what's happening in the community, you know, there yeah. uh, and and about the alpacas and stuff. And you can tell that story if you want, where the one went loose sure. in the town square. But yeah, sure. I, I love it. Sure. I, I sometimes <laughs> feel like what we're trying to do in North Philadelphia, I'm looking out the window, seeing folks getting food. You know, our community bar- gardens are in full bloom. We're painting murals. We're we're doing a lot of similar work. And uh, over the yeah. years, I think your community over there has really um, inspired us. And, and we it kind of goes both ways. So I just I wanted to hear a little bit more of an update of what's going on in Birmingham. Yeah, bless you, mate. So so we're so Winston Green is just a you know a couple of miles out from the city center, uh, and. Uh, yeah, it's, it's chock block of potential. I mean, a lot of people look at it, they see the prison. There was a documentary series, Benefit Street, which kind of drew national attention to the neighbourhood in really negative ways. But actually, there's amazing potential. Uh, I, I loved, uh, just on Saturday, we had a few of our pioneers come and have a look at the neighbourhood and be talking about asset-based community development in the morning and looking for the treasure and the gifts 
that that our community has. And so we just walked. Uh, first of all, we went down downstairs. Uh, we've got a community cafe kind of going on. The chapel kind of is, is there, but it's used for music and used for art and all kinds of things as well as Sunday worship. Um, we went to the canal. Uh, there's more canals than Venice, they say in Birmingham. Our canals are pretty putrid, though. But trying to redeem them is kind of part of the work. And uh, Ange was there with about 100 uh, people going up and down the canals on canoes. It was brilliant. It was fantastic. Uh, we, we had an unveiling of a sculpture. It was a beautiful sculpture. Um, you may know that uh, the Blitz happened here in Birmingham in the Second World War. The Germans flattened a lot of Birmingham. And a call went to the kind of Commonwealth countries, you know, would you come and help rebuild Britain, particularly in the West Indies, places like Jamaica and others. And a lot of folk came. Um, they're called the Windrush Generation. And they came, one of the ships with the Windrush. But uh, in recent times, because people didn't have the right documentation, when they went to, back to Jamaica or other places for a holiday or visit, they weren't allowed back in the country. I mean, it was unbelievable, incredible injustice for that generation has been happening. They just haven't been appreciated or welcomed or given the freedom of the city, which they should have, because they, they helped rebuild cities like Birmingham. So we had a big sculpture, a big monument, and uh, we had maybe 50, 60 people there. It's a beautiful monument. And it actually shows uh, on the one side of it, literally kind of, uh, it says black history is British history. And actually, on one side, it has goes back to the first Roman garrisons that came, uh, black garrisons that came uh, in 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 second century to the UK, and goes all the way kind of kind of through the black history all all, all throughout. So um, it was a beautiful monument. Uh, the sculptors were just brilliant and uh, great. And then across the road, we had the blacksmithing that was going on. Uh, our guys were teaching people how to blacksmith and. Uh, it was it was beautiful. Then we walked to Newbigin House, the, the alpacas there. But one of, when we first moved to to Birmingham, one of the things I, I love the definition of a place that the new parish guys have: big enough to live a lot of life in, small enough to become a known character, the unfolding drama of the place. And so, getting a couple of alpacas oh, and good, walking them. Good. Walking them from our house to the school where Ange was based around the corner was a fantastic way to get to know the neighbourhood. Uh, and Unfortunately, one escaped at one point and uh, it, let, it went to the main road, the main shops, the police, there were sirens, there were people trying to catch them. Uh, and someone videotaped it and put it on TikTok and it had over a million views. So sometimes you become a known character in the unfolding drama of a place in ways you don't <laughs> expect. Uh, we had three sheep there as well but, uh, with the local schools. We got three primary school, four primary schools that we were connected in with. And then we got to see... We've done a lot of work with the schools, the primary schools, but the high schools were just really inadequate or, or long way away. There's actually no high school in our neighbourhood. So we campaigned for a new high school. We've got rezoning of land, derelict land that was being used. And and in in September, our first intake will happen. And it's a beautiful school. It's a state-of-the-art building. It's still being built as we as we talk. Uh, and then across the road from that, there was derelict land that um, – a developer was going to put two big tower blocks up and do single story kind of cheap accommodation. Uh, so we protested that. We found out about the government, the local government were going to approve it on a, on a Thursday. We found out about it on a Monday. They were just going to try and rush this thing through. We got 14 different community groups together by Tuesday. We put our statement out on Wednesday. 
we lost in the council 9-4 on the Thursday. But on the Friday, the owner, the developer, his name's Ron, um, he was furious at us. Who are you stopping my building and all that? So we're like communities sat across the road. We're going to be here. Uh, we want to, we're, we're not going to stop. And uh, actually, Ron and I become really good mates. He was here this week, and we go to the pub together. Wow! And, uh, and uh, he re- he was willing to listen to the local community and have redesigned it. And now has um, going to have a civic square and uh, a, a community grocery store and a health clinic. And there's about 420 apartments, most of them two and three bedroom now for families. And uh, 30 of them will come to us. We're talking to the Church of England about whether they would buy 120 of these apartments for, um, for under-resourced folk here as well. So, um, uh, so yeah. So all these things are kind of happening. So the renewal of Winston Green, God's kingdom, God's dream for our neighbourhood is really starting to happen. And some of those bigger big rocks, if you like, to build things around, like housing and schooling is starting to take shape as well as the fun stuff like, um, you know, the, the football club and reclaiming of the park and all those kind of things that we go down. Yeah, it's so good to hear those stories. I think of uh, Fran- Clarence Jordan, you know, who uh, founded the Koinonia Farm uh, down in Georgia. And uh, he said, our communities uh, are meant to be demonstration plots of the kingdom. Yes. We give people yes. at our best, you know, give people a little glimpse of the kingdom yeah. of God on earth. And we're aspiring to live out that yeah. vision in a real place. So, so yeah, Leslie Newbigin had a great line. He said, "The role of the church." This is Leslie Newbigin, and he wrote that when he was here. He said, "The role of the local church is to be a sign, a foretaste, and an instrument of God's coming kingdom in a place, a place for which it is responsible." And I feel like that's what local churches. If local churches can get hold of that image, rather than just how do we get people on into the seats, I think it would be amazing. And so we get to see one thing I love with the new school. They've got an eco park. They have. Uh, one of our guys, John, has just been employed as the eco chaplain. For yeah, the that's awesome. And uh, and he's got this whole plot of land that they're going to grow vegetables, and they've got a pond, and uh, all kinds of learning will happen in there as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah, so, so love it. I can't wait See to show all. you around, mate. Yeah, I'll be over there before I, before long here. And the, you know, the last thing I was going to ask you, Ash, is um, uh, yeah, there's a lot of folks that um, really care about. Uh, the evangelism side of things, you know, and um, I think we've always been people. I mean, Tony Campolo is one of the great evangelists uh, and preachers out there, led folks like you and me to Jesus. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, has always really cared about just as much about folks hearing about Jesus as hearing about justice. And I think there's, there's some, you know, solid folks that, that um, are, are going, it's great that they, Christians or post-evangelicals or are caring about racial justice and the environment and peacemaking and all this stuff, community building. But, you know, are we also inviting people to dedicate their lives to Christ? So um, I know that can feel like a loaded question because a lot of people have a bad experience with evangelism, but I wanted to hear your thoughts on it, man, because I know know I really care about it. Yeah, Yeah, we we do too. So uh, we started two new congregations and one of the things that happened uh, is when you open up the doors and ask people, you know, what gifts has God given you? It's amazing how, how you know, not, no one's far away from Jesus, actually. Jesus is not far away from any one of us. And when, uh, when we start with, with that sense that, that God has got, given you a gift, how, 
can we work with you to help find what that is and how to use it now? It's very different to starting with the negative images. You're wrong. You're a sinner. How you know we've got the answers. You haven't. I think the approach for evangelism for us is that yeah, God's at work can be everyone's lives, and if we can help bring that to, to, to consciousness, if we can help people identify that and join in with that. It's amazing what happens. We also love pilgrimages. Uh, so just last week, I, we did the St. Cuthbert's Way pilgrimage with people, and getting people out of the environment and walking barefoot on Holy Island where, you know, 1,600 years ago, the Celtic yeah. saints were sent out. I mean, and just, and just say, even for folks who have no kind of faith background at all, Walk barefoot on Holy Island and ask God to make Himself real to you. It's amazing how God does that. So yes, I don't. I think the dichotomy is it so justice or Jesus? No, that has to be integrated. But but that we do have to pay attention to it. I think a lot of justice work can be adrenaline kind of fueled, where I think yeah. actually meeting and encountering Jesus takes a kind of mystical uh, and and slowing down and uh, creating space and those those things i think i think a lot of folk who are into justice it's not that they're not into jesus it's just that the the drivenness of the cause sometimes doesn't give the space and the quietness and the um awareness for for what jesus is doing and so we don't make the connections sometimes so i know that's true for me there's a there's a line i don't know who said it but it's uh hurry and joy can't live in the same room and I think sometimes when we're hurried and harassed, we we miss the opportunities to connect people with Jesus. Um, but yeah, I I I, I love it, praying for people. I, uh, that's another thing that happens when people say they have a problem. Uh, I've learned uh, my instinct is to say, "Can I can I pray for you?" And in, and uh, you know, um, invite Jesus into the situation so people can be conscious of Jesus. So, I, I yeah, both our congregations have grown to 40, 50 people. I think in the USC, I think we're probably the only church that's probably grown in the pandemic, certainly the only congregation that started in the pandemic. And, uh, but it's, it's not a, it's not the awkward bit, you know, it's a, it's an integral part of our lives. And uh, we want, want people to encounter and follow Jesus. Uh, and it's the resource that will help people get through. Our congregation services are very much geared towards that as well. Um, most of our folk, we see them most days here, actually. And yeah. so when we meet, meet on Sunday, it's, it's an extension and a time to stop and reflect. And uh, we, we do highs and lows. You know, what, what's been the high this week? What's been the low this week? It's actually an old Ignatian kind of exercise, actually. Yeah. Uh, most people wouldn't know that. But, but, it's, uh, but it's participatory. And uh, and everyone has a gift to share. So good. Yeah. I, I was just thinking of the service I was at the other day. I was preaching and um, someone came forward afterwards and uh, and said, this is really new to me. I'd like to dedicate my life to Jesus. And, and there was just this beautiful innocence, you know, and we wept together. And I, I thought that's um, I think there's a new air, new kind of season of this where a lot of folks are not growing up going to Sunday school. They're not growing up going to church. And there's a part of that. They don't have to deconstruct the things. We don't need to be as reactionary to the toxic versions of evangelicalism or whatever Franklin Graham just tweeted or what Sean Foyd has done or whatever. I think there's a new thing happening that we can say, yeah, we want folks to 
to dedicate their lives to Jesus and to justice and to caring about yes. this world. And so it's yeah. always a gift to be together, bro. And, um, and oh, I'm so you, for all that, that the spirit's doing over there, man. So bless yeah. you, man. I'll see bless you soon. You, Thank you. Thank you. By the way, I've been drinking my tea, not my coffee. This <laughs> Good on you. <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Red Letter Christians podcast. Too often, Christians have used our faith as a ticket into heaven and a license to ignore the world we live in. But at Red Letter Christians, we believe our faith is not just about going to heaven when we die, but also about bringing heaven to earth while we live. For more information on Red Letter Christians and upcoming events, additional resources, you can go to the show notes or our website, redletterchristians.org. You can also support Red Letter Christians by giving a one-time donation or becoming a monthly sustainer. Just go to our website and click the red donate button. Thank you for being a part of this conversation and for being a part of this movement.